I want you to open your Bible to the book of Mark, Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, we're going to be studying together from that book, Mark chapter 5. We're going to be looking in particular in verse number 21, Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse number 21. In Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21, we are introduced to a rather um, unique situation in the life of our Lord. And it's a situation that uh, provides us with a lot of great application for our lives. And if we're not careful, we can overlook some of the things that the Holy Spirit uh, wants us to understand as he guides the writing of this very uh, important passage of Scripture. And as we read together Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 21 through the end of the passage, I want us to try to see if we can pick up on some of those wonderful gold nuggets of practicality for our lives and then see how they can be of uh, benefit to us in our day to day. You know, Aaron and uh, others, as they have prayed in the past, especially before the preacher gets up to preach, uh, they'll pray something to the effect that we might take the things that we've learned and apply them to our lives. Well, that's certainly the case this morning. Uh, all mornings, all Sunday mornings, I'm sure, but especially this morning because of the practical nature of, the, of some of the things that I'm going to share with you. But if you look in Mark 5, beginning with verse 21, let's just read through this together and then come back and do some examination of the text. Now, when Jesus had crossed over again by boat to the other side, a great multitude gathered to him, and he was by the sea. Now, let's just put a peg there and pause for a second and, and, and take note of the fact that Jesus... He had been on the west side of Galilee, and, and now he has gone to the east side of Galilee, perhaps for a bit of a respite. You know that Jesus was very involved in the process of teaching and sharing a message of hope, sharing a message of love, sharing a message of eternity. Uh, and in the process of these messages that Jesus would share, he would also find himself in moments where there were specific physical uh, emotional, in some cases financial needs, and Jesus tried to provide aid when and where he could. Uh, in particular, in the realm of physical ailment, he would provide healing. And so we read uh, the various miracles of Jesus. Now, we don't read all of the miracles, mind you. In fact, in John chapter 20, we might, or, or the book of John, we might think of that as the book of miracles. It identifies seven specific categories of miracles. And then in John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31, Jesus says, Truly, uh, you know, with many other words did he in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, this book, uh, but these are written that you might believe, and that believing you might have life in his name. And so Jesus has a lot of his work recorded for us, but not all of his marvelous uh, miracles recorded for us. But as Jesus is out and about and he's doing these good things and he's teaching and so forth, he is also a man. I mean, he's, he's not just Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, God himself, John 1, 1 through 4, but Jesus is a man. And as a man, Jesus would on occasion become tired. Jesus would need to sleep. Jesus would need to eat. Jesus would need to check out, if you will, of life and, and just process the events of the day, process the events of the week, uh, process uh, the, the things that he did to help those that were in need. I mean, it had to have been weighing heavily on him as a man. And we know that he 
he dealt with emotions and he had emotions and and he had emotions of of gladness but he also had most emotions of sadness and he dealt with grief remember john chapter 11 jesus wept the emotion of grief you remember in uh, matthew chapter 26 when jesus was in the garden of gethsemane and he was in the shadow of the the cross the bible tells us that he was overwhelmed by the emotion of what he was getting ready to face, which was the cross itself. And he said, My soul is exceeding sorrowful and nigh unto death. And so Jesus knew what it was like to experience emotions and perhaps even a little bit of stress and anxiety and depression. Well, Jesus had gone over to the east side and getting a bit of a respite, if you will. Now he's getting back to work. He's going back to the west side. And while he's there, he finds himself in another moment to be of aid to someone in need. Look at verse 22. And behold, one of the rulers of the synagogue came, Jairus by name, and when he saw him, he fell at his feet, fell at Jesus' feet, and begged him earnestly, saying, My little daughter lies at the point of death. Now, try to put yourself in Jairus' shoes for, for a moment. I was thinking about this as I was uh, reflecting on things that I would say this morning. And I was thinking about this. What if this was my little girl? What if I was there in the presence of the Lord? And, and I knew that there was this great one. I didn't understand everything about him. I, I, I didn't even for sure grasp the concept that he was the Messiah or that he had all of these abilities that I heard about, but, but you know what? I'm going to give it a try. You know, I, I, know, the, I know the stories that I've heard. I, I know the, 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 the uproar that I've heard about this man that was wandering through, and, and he was healing people and, of their various diseases. And, and, and my little girl, my little daughter, she's not to the point of death. I'm going to do everything and anything in my power to see that she is healed, that she survives. And it says, he says to Jesus, come and lay your hands on her that she may be healed and she will live. So first thing I want you to observe here is that she, of course, is alive, at least in his mind. She is alive at the point that he approaches the Lord. And verse 24 says, Jesus went with him, and a great multitude followed him and thronged him. So, Jesus is in the presence of all of these people. He's gone about back to do his work, his, his healing, his teaching, and so forth. And in walks Jairus. Jairus says, my little, my little daughter is near to the point of death. She is sick. Uh, of course, uh, other translations would tell us, or other accounts here would tell us that she is dead, and so perhaps what he is saying is that she is sick, but I understand in this process, between the time I've left home to come and be with you, Lord, maybe she has died. But you know what? I'm going to give it a go. I'm going to connect with Jesus. I'm going to see what, if anything, he can do to help. And as they are walking back, he is enthroned by people. And verse 25 says... A certain woman had a flow of blood for 12 years. She's hemorrhaging for 12 years. And suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. 
Verse 26, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being someone who is ill for 12 years? And, and maybe you have experienced uh, an event where you have been sick for so long and you've gone from doctor to doctor to doctor. I've known people like this who for years have gone from doctor to doctor to doctor and they have been trying to get some answers. They've been trying to get um, a message of hope, a message of this is what you can do in order to be healed. This is the medication that you need. This is the, the, the therapy process that you need. Whatever. This is what you need to be healed. And for 12 years she has expended everything. She's expended her resources she's expended her time she has expended her energy and in all of that for 12 years she has not received any help and when she heard about Jesus she came behind him in the crowd I wonder is what they say about him true I wonder is he really is he really all-powerful I wonder if I just get near him, I wonder. If I could just but reach out, I wonder. If I could just touch the hem of his garment, the tassels in Jewish custom, the, the male Jew would have had perhaps four tassels drifting down from the robe, but I wonder if I just reach out and touch one of those tassels. I wonder. And she quit wondering and she ultimately reaches out and she touches his clothes and says, if I only do this, I'll be made well. Verse 29, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Imagine that for 12 years. The misery she had been feeling, the embarrassment that she had been experiencing for 12 years, trying and trying to get some help, some relief, some healing. And now, in the presence of greatness, she wanders and moves from inaction to action, reaches out, touches the hem of his garment, and just like that, she feels it. Just like that, the issue is gone. The healing is there. And she realizes, yes, I am in the presence of greatness. And Jesus immediately, this is awesome, Jesus immediately, knowing himself, his self-awareness, and knowing himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine being in a great crowd like this and, and just surrounded by people and, I mean, people pushing and shoving, just trying to get close and maybe, maybe trying to bump elbows with them and, and maybe there are some that would be able to go back and say, you know, I, I actually was there when Jesus was present and I bumped elbows with him. <laughs> or I touched his garment. Or I made eye contact with him and he with me. What an incredible moment it was. And so there was all of this touching and all of this interaction, if you will, in, in this great crowd of people. But Jesus noticed one in particular, this touching by someone that needed some of his power. And in that moment, Jesus said, I felt my power leave me. It's no wonder that Jesus had to go off and rest a while at times because of, of his ability to provide this healing. It it exhausted him. It, 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 it took something from him, if you will. Who touched my clothes? 
his disciples said to him, You see the multitude thronging you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her, uh, see her who had done the thing, but the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith did this. It, it wasn't my robe. It was your faith that did this. It was a faith that caused you to, to stop thinking about me and to stop thinking about being healed by me and to actually do something and to reach out and to grab that in full confidence and assurance that you would be healed. Your faith has made you well. Now go in peace and be healed of your affliction. I can't help but think for a moment if that if that expression of peace there that Jesus employs is a reference to not her physical well-being, but her spiritual well-being also. Go in peace and be well. Jesus looking out for both her body and her soul. While he was still speaking, some came, verse 35, from the ruler of the synagogue's house who said, Your daughter is dead why trouble the teacher any further wait a second did did you catch what was going on here in this moment did did you notice it when we started in verse 21 here here is a man that has come to jesus has come to the lord he he is a he is a manager of the synagogue he is is someone from capernaum that that has some authority and while he knows about Jesus, perhaps doesn't fully appreciate the, appreciate the Messiah nature of Jesus, but he's going to give this a try with Jesus because he's so concerned about his daughter. And he goes and he finds him and he says, My little daughter, is, she's, she's very sick. She's near to the point of death. Perhaps in this process he even thinks it's likely that she could be dead. As I travel to see Jesus or as I'm in the presence with Jesus, it's possible but I'm going to try it nonetheless. And, and all of this is about Jairus and about his daughter and about Jesus coming to heal her. And all of a sudden, it takes a back seat. Did you catch that? All of a sudden, that's in the background. And now we have a woman that makes her way through the crowd who has this issue of blood for 12 years reaches up to touch the hem of his garment in order to be healed. And then, and then, he gets the word, your daughter is dead. What would have gone through your mind right then? What would you have thought about in that moment? After all of the, the work that you had done to find Jesus, to be in his presence, to fight through the crowd, after you had gotten to that point, and you thought perhaps in your mind, maybe it's possible. Maybe, maybe we can do this. Maybe there's still hope. Maybe, maybe we can move fast enough. And all of a sudden there's an interruption. What would have gone through your mind? Man, that woman is so selfish. Man, if, if, if Jesus had not taken a moment to, to talk with her, then, then man, we would, we would be on our way back to the house and Maybe, just maybe. That's not what happened. Go a little further. While he was still speaking, some came from the... Oh, I'm sorry, back up. No, verse, verse 36. 
And soon as Jesus heard the word that was spoken, he said to the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, do not be afraid, only believe. And he permitted no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And then he came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and saw a tumult and those who wept and wailed loudly. Now, in the first century, what would happen is when, when, when someone would die, there would actually be um, professional mourners that would be hired. I don't know what kind of income they made on this. I don't know how many uh, funerals, if you will, that they would hit up over the course of a year and they would mourn professionally. But, but these are professional mourners that were hired to come in and they were, they were hired to, to tear their clothes, to, get this, pull out their hair and to yell and to cry out loud and shed these tears on behalf of someone who died. Professional mourners. And so these professional mourners had already come, enough time had passed between the time that Jesus had been discovered to the time that Jesus was brought back to uh, Jairus' house, and there the professional mourners are, and they're weeping, and they're wailing loudly, and now Jairus comes in, and he said to them, Jesus, with Jairus, why make this commotion and weep? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And we're not talking about soul sleeping, that's false doctrine. We're we're not talking about that. We're talking about a body that's asleep. You see, there's no such thing as soul sleeping because your spirit is always alive. And when your spirit is separated from your body, they would refer to the body as being asleep, but the spirit is very much alive. And when you and I leave this world, if you will, when we die, our body remains, but our spirit leaves. And our spirit goes into what we commonly refer to as the Hadean realm, but it goes into that waiting place of either torment or paradise, depending on whether or not we're faithful to the Lord. And there we wait until the final judgment, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. And then we receive that sentence of heaven or hell. And so in this moment, what you have is Jesus recognizing and telling them, she is not dead. What? Well, her body's asleep. Her spirit's very much alive. And he's now getting ready to infuse that spirit back into that body. Notice what happens next. And they ridiculed him, but when he had put them all outside, he took the father and the mother of the child and those who were with him and entered where the child was lying. And then he took the child by the hand and said to her, Talitha Kumi. Now it was translated, little girl, I say to you, arise. Very common for Jesus to speak the the common language of the people in their house when he would enter their house, whether it be Aramaic or in Jerusalem in some homes it would still be Hebrew or whether it would be Greek. But Jesus now speaks and says, Little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately, you notice how this word is often used in association with miracles in the Bible. Completely different than modern day so-called faith healing. Immediately, the girl arose and walked. For she was 12 years of age. And they were overcome with great amazement, but he commanded them strictly that no one should know it and said that something should be given her to eat. 
That just tells us something about the humanity of the Lord there in that moment, doesn't it? And then, of course, just as a sidebar, we're reminded of the fact that Jesus did not want this message of his healing to get out because he knew it would anger some folks, and it wasn't his time to go to the cross yet. It was getting close, but not yet. All right. We've gone through this absolutely amazing account of Jesus caring, healing, and yes, even saving people. What I want us to do now is I want us to make some practical observations and applications that we can take with us and hopefully apply to our lives going forward this week and as long as we live. The first thing I want us to see is that waiting on the Lord, waiting on the Lord challenges our faith. It challenges our faith. It's not easy to wait on the Lord, is it? You know, you and I, we live in this, uh, this me society. This, we used to call it the me generation, right? Where we feel like we've got things figured out and we are our own source of authority. And we really struggle with that, don't we? We, we really struggle with the concept of authority. Don't think so? Then just walk into Walmart and see how many people are wearing masks and how many aren't after it's been mandated. Now, that, that's, that's not arguing the validity of should we wear masks, should we not wear masks from a standpoint of, of health. Well, I'm not even arguing that. I'm just talking about a matter of authority. But we are a people that say, well, I am my own source of authority. I don't really care what you say. I don't really care what you, you do. I, I, I'm my own source of authority. That's kind of the way that we look at things. And so we, we struggle sometimes to put our confidence in someone else. But what waiting on the Lord does is it challenges our faith and our obedience to the Lord. I want you to think about this. When life happens, when difficulties in life happen, and they, all, they will, and if they haven't, they will, I want you to remember that God does not change His mind toward you because of something that interrupts your life. You may be going along in life and everything is going well and all of a sudden something happens and your world comes crashing down. Just because something happens in your life, it does not mean that God is no longer there and that God no longer cares. But it does mean that your faith has been challenged. And so we've got to, what? Mount up like eagles and soar and fly as high as we can, to do the very best that we can to put our fullness of confidence in Him, challenges our faith. But second of all, I want us to observe that it values our timing. It values our timing, or values God's timing. Waiting on the Lord values God's timing. If you look at uh, verses 35 and 36 here of the text that we read a moment ago, it says, while he was still speaking, while Jesus is speaking to this woman that interrupted the process of Jairus to get Jesus to his house to heal his daughter. While Jesus is speaking, some came from the ruler of the synagogue's house and said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? We need to remember that God's timing is not the same as our timing. 
In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8, you know, to God, a, a thousand years is as a day, to, and a day as a thousand years. God and I, God and you, we don't think we are not on the same time as God is. And so when, when we find life happening and the challenges of life happening, we need to wait on the Lord. And in waiting on the Lord, it helps us to value the timing of the Lord. Allow God's timing to be your timing. Jairus had nothing to lose and everything to gain in this moment by just taking a breath, letting Jesus help the woman, and continue walking with Jesus all the way home. He didn't have anything to lose in that process. And it's impressive to me as I read this account that, that Jairus did not get all upset here. He did not become frustrated and aggravated. He did not use any choice words about the fact that, that Jesus took a break from helping him and going with him to, to helping this one. didn't happen. Jairus was forced to wait on the Lord. And in waiting on the Lord, value God's time. But then number three, it helps us to consider the bigger picture. The bigger picture. If I go back to that idea of, of me, the me generation, which we're all part of, this concept of selfishness on some degree, you know, you and I are a selfish people. And you may say, well, I'm not, I'm, I'm selfless. Well, just an expression like that within and of itself identifies one's own selfishness. Because we are all somewhat about something selfish. Maybe it's we're selfish with our talents. Maybe we're selfish with our time. Maybe we're selfish with our family. Maybe we're selfish with our job. Maybe we're selfish with our friends. Maybe we're selfish. We all have some element of selfishness in which we think, well, life, maybe even in this very moment of life, life is about me. Wait a second, no. Life is about us. And what Jesus is doing in this moment is he's teaching Jairus a lesson of what it means to wait on the Lord. And waiting on the Lord means that we consider the bigger picture which is where Jesus cares about all of us and not just one of us. You know, God has everything under control and is always working on the eternal picture, which includes me. But He's working on an eternal picture for all of us and not just a few of us. But then next, waiting on the Lord helps us to unite with God's purpose. This is probably one of the most difficult pieces of learning to wait on the Lord. At least I think. Maybe, maybe second only to waiting on God's time. But God's purpose needs to become our purpose. Life is full of interruptions. Each of those interruptions is important to God. Jairus' life, life interruption was important to God. The, the woman who had the issue with blood, her inter life interruption that had existed for 12 years was important to God. But life is full of interruptions, and each one of those is important to God. And each of life's interruptions are the result of someone's free moral choice in the process. And those interruptions may cause us, 
whether it be our choice or someone else's choice, it may cause us to lose some traction in life or maybe even to have to do some things over. Or it may even cause us to have to forego certain things that we had planned in life. But that's just a part of life. Don't let interruptions cause you to lose your purpose. When success or the success of our work revolves around individuals or groups of people, when our success evolves around people, then you and I have become people-centric as opposed to Jesus-centric. And our purpose has to be a Jesus-centered purpose. When life is full of challenges, it can cause us to become, to become negative if we're not careful. Which leads me to a, a final observation here, and that is that waiting on the Lord teaches us the spiritual discipline of patience. Again, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when the challenges will come into life. You know, some things that we do in life and things that are done to us and for us in life can cause us to be really happy with self. And, that, and that's good, and it makes us feel good to, to have those types of events happen. But can you imagine what it would be like if everything in life was good, everything in life was always positive? Can you imagine? Well, we'd be so full of ourselves. And on the other hand, in some cases, you know, if, if, if uh, an individual had comp- tragedy in their life, just constant tragedy in, in their life, it could cause them to be negative and down on life and God and so forth. But none of us have that. None of us have complete happy moments or complete negative moments. You say, well, you don't, you don't know what I'm experiencing. No, I don't. But I know that God is just and He sees us as equals and I know that He is not one who uh, loves one over the other. I, I have confidence in those things. And so what I'm saying is perhaps in your moment of struggle and challenge and difficulty, maybe look for the positive in the moment, in another moment in another situation because we all have them and when we can do that it will help us to wait on the Lord and it will help us to learn the spiritual discipline of patience these things are these are like challenging truths from an incredibly beautiful story thankful for the book of Mark thankful for this chapter I'm thankful for what Jairus has taught us. I'm thankful for what the woman struggling with the issue of blood taught us about faith and confidence. I'm thankful for what Jesus taught us about waiting on Him. And I'm thankful even about some of these difficult and challenging lessons that I have to learn in life at times. And you do too. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a Christian. and We want to invite you to do that. You know, the Bible gives us the, the detail of what we must do in order to be saved. And it's, and it's not a challenging concept, but yet it is one that we sometimes make challenging.
You know, in order to become a Christian, all we have to do is to come to, to God on his terms. Let me give you one of my favorite verses. It may be one of your favorites as well. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Verse 17 says, For God sent not the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Now that passage is the, is the, is the ultimate passage on teaching us what we need to do in order to be in the right relationship with the Lord. And it says that we have to believe. You say, well, I, I'm, I'm totally on board with that. All I have to do is believe. Why? Well, you know what? I, I thought I needed to do something different to be a, to be a Christian, but I've, I've believed already. Well, it may not be exactly what you think. So belief is a, is a word that is a comprehensive concept. In fact, if you were to look it up in the, in the language, it is a word that means uh, conviction and trust combined with obedience. All right? So... Sounds like then there's more for me to do than just believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, that would be right. In fact, if it was enough just to believe that Jesus was the Son of God, you know those wicked demons in James chapter 2 would be saved? Because it said even the demons believed and trembled. So there's got to be more than just a, a recognition that Jesus is the Son of God, that he loves me and that he loves the world and, and he died for the sins of the world. There's got to be more. And there is. You know, the Bible says in Luke right next to that book of Mark, that we've got to learn to repent of our sins. And that means we change our mind about sin. It means that maybe I've been going down this path and, and there's some things about this path that are not right and I need to change my mind about it. I, I don't, I don't want to continue down that path. I'm going to change my mind. I'm going to repent of my sins. Wonderful. And then, you know what you need to do? You need to make a confession of faith. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I've repented of my sins. I have believed that he is the Son of God, that he loved me, that he died for me, but now I'm ready to confess that confidence that I have in him. I'm, I'm ready. But you're not saved yet. Not yet. Because Acts 2 and verse 38 says that we have to repent and, that's a coordinate conjunction, repent and be baptized, every one of us, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of our sins. So repentance and baptism go together, kind of like a train going down the track. They've got to work together here baptized for the forgiveness of our sins. Then, our sins are removed. We are in Christ, Galatians 3, 26 and 27, and we're on our way home to heaven. Isn't that good news? Maybe you need to do that this morning. Maybe you are a Christian, but you've wandered away. You've, you've allowed yourself to become separated from, the, from, from God, not, not from His love because He loves you no matter what, but you've allowed yourself to be separated from his purpose for your life and, and, and he's no longer been first and foremost in your life and, and you know that and you want to repent and you want to ask us to pray with and for you. I'll put that mask on my face and I'll sit right next to you and I'll talk to you and I'll pray with you. If we can be of any assistance to you, let us know as together we stand and as we sing.